back. And it came to pass in the month of Chelsea in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanai, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were led to the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. We'll leave off reading there, but please keep your Bible open as we will be dealing with the contents of Nehemiah chapter 1 tonight. We understand that because of rebellion and sin that God's people were taken into Babylonian captivity for some 70 years. We introduce in this text to a man by the name of Nehemiah. His name means the one whom Jehovah comforts. For nearly a century, a Jewish remnant had already been back in Israel. And Nehemiah could have joined them, but just like Esther that we studied back in the wintertime, she, he remained in Shushan. In fact, Nehemiah is in the same location that Esther was in just a generation later. Esther was before him. He was the next generation. God always has His people in the right places at the right time. The book of Nehemiah records the account of this man and his burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down. We know about the story of Nehemiah. We know that he is the wall builder. We know from studying Jewish history that Ezra, uh, which altered the book of Ezra, the book preceding the book of Nehemiah, that he took a remnant of Jews some 14 years before Nehemiah chapter 1 back to Jerusalem. His purpose was to work on the temple and to rebuild the temple and to get the worship going again there in Jerusalem. But here's what the problem was there in Jerusalem. They had worship but they didn't have any walls. They had a lot of worship going on, but the walls had not been built. Walls have two primary purposes, to keep things in and to keep things out. And I want to say this tonight, you and I cannot properly worship tonight if we do not have some protective walls. I tell you, we're living in a church age and in a world today where they want the worship. And I believe He is worthy to be worshipped tonight. Amen. But I'm telling you, you got to have some walls. you got to have some separation. I tell you, if we don't have walls in our churches and we don't have walls in our homes, that worship that we enjoy and the things of God that we enjoy, we're going to lose those precious things because we'll be an open attack to the enemy. I tell you, I've never seen, and I know I'm a young man tonight, but I've been in church all my life, and I've never seen a day uh, when so many so many uh, seemingly God-called preachers are giving in to the fads and the things of this world just because they want to see anything. I tell you tonight, we have to have some walls. There's got to be some separation. 
There is a there is a thing going around now. Uh, there is a a movie that has come out called Jesus Revolution. I, I wouldn't encourage you to watch it. I've not watched it. I've just done some research about it. Uh, but it talks about in the night. It's based on a true story in the 1970s uh, that there was this uh, hippie named Lonnie uh, Frisbee that infiltrated a church, and it was the Jesus people is what they came out, and they became the Jesus freaks, and they wasn't nothing but a bunch of hippies that lived on LSD uh, that claimed the name of Jesus. And he, he turned out that he was a sodomite the whole time. And they they made this movie and based it about it. And, and that is not the Jesus that I serve tonight. I believe if Jesus saves a sodomite, he'll be an ex-sodomite. Somebody say amen. Just like if he saves a drunk, he'll be an ex-drunk. If he saves a drug addict, he'll be an ex-drug addict. Somebody help me, amen. But they're wanting to blur the lines now. They're not wanting any walls. They're not wanting any separation. Uh, they're not wanting anybody to say, hey, this is wrong and this is right. They're not wanting, by the way, that whole Jesus revolution, I heard uh, Greg Laurie, who got saved under Lonnie Frisbee and produced uh, that the book that produced that movie, he made the statement that contemporary Christian music was birthed out of the Jesus revolution, which was a bunch of hippies uh, smoking pot and on LSD, and they began to write contemporary music, and now it's being sung in independent Baptist churches. That's why it helps to crack a history book and do a Google search and find out where that trash is coming from. Somebody help me. Got to have some walls. Oh, we want the worship. That's what, and thank God for Ezra. Thank God for those men that have a burden to, to get the worship going on back at the house of God. Oh, but thank God for a man like Nehemiah that says if we're going to have the worship for another generation, we better get them walls back up. Hey, man, I, I feel better about this now, hey, man. Noticing in this text, we find that Nehemiah was a man who gave up a life of luxury living in the palace of Shushan, for he was the king's cupbearer. And he went and gave that up to go get his hands dirty to build some walls so that the worship of God and the house of God and the precious things of God would no longer be defiled by the world. By way of context, there is an inquiring in verse 1 and 2. We learn in these verses that Hanai, the, the physical brother of Nehemiah, came to Shushan where Nehemiah was serving. And Nehemiah wanted to know, how are the remnant doing in Jerusalem? There's the information in verse number 3. The news was not good news. There's three things that describe the condition of those Jews. They were in despair. The Bible says the remnant that are left to the captivity there in the province are in great affliction. This word affliction means worse than worse. They were despised. He said they're in great affliction and reproach, meaning they are scorned. They are told it. You read on the book of Nehemiah, you'll meet two men by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah that all they did was persecute and, and criticize and scorn the people of God. There was also destruction. The Bible said the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. A careful reading of this text would let us know these gates were not still burning, but they had been burned with fire. Meaning that these gates, these walls have been torn down for almost a century. These gates have been burned, been destroyed for almost a century, and nobody had attempted to build the walls up. Nobody had attempted to reestablish the gates. 
The Bible said in Proverbs 25, verse 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. We notice the impact of this information in verse 4. Watch what Nehemiah did. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He uses four words to describe. He wept. It means to weep, to bewail, to cry, to shed tears. He mourned. That means to express grief or sorrow. He fasted. That means to abstain from food. He prayed. That means that he, that he, that he meditated and he, and he approached God. And that leads me to my thought tonight. Not only the, 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 uh, inquiring, the information, the impact, but the intercession of Nehemiah. Here's what I want to get to tonight. Stay with me. What Nehemiah heard about the condition of Jerusalem burdened him. He was burdened by it. You know what we're real good at being? We're real good at being bothered. But we're not real good at being burdened. You see, you know, well, preacher, how do you tell the difference between being bothered or being burdened? Listen to me. If you're bothered about something, all you'll do is complain about it. But if you're burdened, you're going to pray about it. That's what Nehemiah done in our text. Sure, did that bother him? Yes, it did. That the walls had not been built up. That they were worshiping without walls. That the precious things of God were at stake of being defiled by the world. Yes, it sure it bothered him. I tell you, it did more than just bother Nehemiah. It burdened his heart to the point where he said, I've got to pray about this. We're real good at being bothered about our country. I mean, I'm bothered about abortion. Are you not? I'm bothered about sodomy. I'm bothered about the murder and the lies and the corruption and the wickedness of our government from from Rowan County uh, to Raleigh to D.C. It's all corrupt. That bothers me. But I wonder, have I ever been burdened about it? But we're real quick. You listen to this preacher now. Everybody in this building needs this message, including this preacher. We are really good at being bothered. And boy, we can run our mouths and we can complain about how bad it is, how wicked it is. But are we burdened enough to pray? We burden it up to go before God and say, God, our county's in a mess. Our city's in a mess. This state, this country is in a mess. Are we burdened enough to pray? We're bothered about the condition of our marriages, adultery, immorality, fornication going on, people getting divorces after, not just people being married five or six years, people being married 40 and 50 years calling it quits. Does that not bother you? It bothers me, but it ought to burden us. We look at the children of this generation, the young people, the next generation on, and we see that they can't even get, have enough sense to get out of the pouring rain, it looks like. And we're bothered. Boy, we criticize. We complain about them a lot, don't we? Do we pray about them? Do we pray for them? Do we spend time before the throne of God? Boy, we are bothered about our churches. Dead and dry and destitute. Preachers compromising apostatizing, going the wrong way. And I'm real good at complaining about it. Did you hear me? I just confess. I'm real good at complaining about it. But I wonder how good I am praying about it. Amen. Uh, when, you, when you're bothered, you'll talk to everybody else about it. When you're burdened, you'll talk to him about it. Are you listening to me tonight? I'm up here. Are, are you bo- I'm preaching tonight. Are you bothered or are you burdened? Are you bothered 
Are you burdened tonight? One thing that I have seen in my own heart that I need God to help me with is I don't have a burden like I should. I don't have the burden for the lost like I should. I don't have the burden for prayer as I should, Brother David. I don't have the burden for the Word of God that I should. I don't have the burden for my community, uh, for my country. Sometimes, Brother Charles, I don't know if I have the right burden for my family. Now, you can take your halo off, but all of us are bothered. But not many of us are burdened. Are we bothered or are we burdened? We can learn a great lesson from the prayer of Nehemiah as example of a man who wasn't bothered, but he was burdened. I want to say four things about his prayer tonight before we go have some fellowship. And may God use the prayer of Nehemiah to challenge and convict us. Would you open up your heart tonight? Would you have an open heart and an open Bible and allow God to speak to us tonight? Would you give me that? Would you give me that for the next 20 minutes? Let's look at the text. First of all, there is the specific direction of his prayer. Watch in verse 4 and 5. First of all, I would note about this specific direction of his prayer. Watch this. He was before God. Look at, look at verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept certain days and fasted. Watch the text. And prayed before the God of heaven. The word before, we know the meaning of it, but the literal meaning of this word means to get in the face. To get in the face. Dr. Johnny Pope said, before we ever seek God's hand, we ought to seek God's face. Psalm 27, 8 says, When thou saidest, Seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I see. Hey, I'm telling you tonight, the reason we are not seeing God do much in the day and age we are living in is because we're not even coming before God in prayer. We've been invited to come before God in prayer. We can come before Him because of the blood, according to Hebrews 10. We have brethren boldness uh, to enter in uh, by the whole, into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He shed His blood not just to save us, uh, but to give us access in prayer. Have you talked to the Lord today? I'm, a, I'm talking more than over a meal. Have you talked to Him? We can come before Him because of the blood. We can come before Him boldly, according to Hebrews 4. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The disciples come to Jesus in Luke 11, said, Lord, teach us to pray. Didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know why we need to be taught to pray? Because we don't pray. More preachings done about prayer, more singings done about prayer, more talkings done about prayer, but very little is done about prayer. And I'm going to tell you tonight, this is not an area that I have victory over in my life. But I'll tell you what would help a lot of us just get before God. Mark off a time that we're going to come before God. Mamas and dads, I know, especially you with little ones, it's hard to get a time away. I know. I don't know even, I, I, I know a little bit, but I can't imagine the mothers, because the children are always with the, with the mothers. It's always, I understand that. But you don't need to neglect prayer. For you will not be the mother you need to be. I will not be the father I need to be if I do not become before Him in prayer. 
Let me say this tonight, and this may mess people up, but you don't have to be on your knees to pray. Did you hear me? You don't have to, you don't have to be on your knees with your hand. I'm not mocking anybody. If that's how you pray, that's fine, okay? But there might be some mamas or dads walking around the house and you pray while you're walking. That's alright. That's okay. Just make sure you're praying. Communing. God sees the humility of your heart. You don't, and I'm not against bowing. I bow when I pray. Don't misunderstand me. I think we, I think we all know what we're saying here. I think, I think kneeling is proper. But I walk and pray sometimes. Amen. Sometimes I'll sit in a chair and pray. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't think that you have to literally get in your closet, close the door, and get on your knees to pray. You just If you have to walk around the house while you're loading the dishwasher, while you're folding laundry, uh, while, whatever you're doing, make time to pray. Not only is He before God, He is beseeching God. Watch verse number 5. And said, I beseech thee. This word beseech is not a word uh, that we use in our English language anymore, but here's what it means. It means now. The definition literally means oh now. You hear his desperation? You hear his intensity? You hear the urgency? Not only is Nehemiah coming before God, but he's beseeching God. You will never pray until you come before God. What do you mean, preacher, come before God? It means you make up your mind, I'm going to pray. By the way, you ain't, you ain't going to impress God with your words. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father that sits upon the throne that's above the heavens and all, you ain't impressing Him. There ain't nothing wrong with saying, good morning, Lord. Amen. There ain't nothing wrong with just being honest with Him, being straight up with Him, talking to Him. You don't talk to nobody else like that. Sometimes we're not careful in our public praying. We're trying to impress other people. We just need to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, we sure do need some help. He's, I hope this is making sense. He's, he's before God. He's beseeching God. But watch this. We miss this a lot of times. Verse number 5, he's bragging on God. O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments as He sought the face of God and began to enter into the presence of God in prayer. He began to lift up the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord God, that's His person. Of heaven, that's His position. The great and terrible God, that's His prominence. The word great means importance. The word terrible uh, means to be reverenced and be honored. That keepeth covenant, that's His promises. And mercy them that love Him and observe His commandments, that's His pity. That He shows mercy on us. That is the specific direction of His prayer. I hasten, number two, not only the specific direction of Nehemiah's prayer. I'm talking about are you bothered or are you burdened tonight? Not only the specific direction, but please note with me the spoken details of his prayer. Two things about this. Look at verse 7. Watch the heart of his prayer. Are you looking at your Bible? Verse number 6. Let thine heart now be attentive, and thine eyes be open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. Once he concluded his worship and praise of the Lord, before he ever asked God for anything in this prayer, Brother Tony, he, he, he worshiped the Lord for who he was. He said, Lord, I want you to be attentive. The word attentive means heedful, intent, observant. He was the king's cupbearer. But he needed to get to the king of glory. 
He had access to the king there in Shushan, the palace, but he needed to go above him. He needed to get a hold of the king of heaven. The heart of his prayer, he said, oh God, hear my prayer. But not only the heart of his prayer, notice the honesty of his prayer. Look at the latter part of verse number 6 and 7. He got honest concerning confession. Verse number 6, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and uh, for the children of Israel, and thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. You know what Nehemiah did? He did what nobody in this generation wants to do. He took personal responsibility for his sin. Was Nehemiah alive when God allowed the Israelites to go into Babylonian captivity? Most likely he wasn't. They've been out of captivity uh, for they've been in captivity for over seventy years. Some of the Jews have been back in the homeland for fourteen years. He's not a he's not one hundred twenty years old, but he took responsibility. He said, "Lord, it's our fault. It wasn't God's fault. He didn't blame others. He didn't blame the generation before him. He said, "Lord, it's us. It's me." Concerning confession, he got honest. Concerning corruption, what, verse seven. We have dealt corruptly against thee, very corruptly against thee. The word corruptly means to offend. He said, we have offended God. (laughs) Boy, people get offended in church all the time, don't they? Somebody got my seat. Somebody didn't shake my hand. uh, Somebody didn't speak to me. Somebody didn't call me. Somebody didn't text me. Did you see the the common denominator in all those statements? Me, 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 me. (laughs) Help me now. People get offended. You ever thought about you've offended the Lord? Nehemiah said, we've dealt corruptly against thee. Concerning confession, corruption, concerning the commandments. And have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, with thy commandments, thy servant Moses. He said, Lord, we have not obeyed your word. Pretty sorry, ain't it? But hang on. How many times have we been guilty of that? Therefore, him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not. Help me, church. To him it is what? Sin. We all know of good things we should have done and we didn't do it. And it was sin. I'm talking about are you bothered or are you burdened tonight? Number three, tonight, not only, there'll be ladies getting up, don't just stay, keep your attention on me. Not only the, the, specific direction of his prayer and not only the spoken details of this prayer but I also want you to note the scriptural doctrine of his prayer please note verse 8, 9, and 10 I'm almost done I'll preach loud enough where they can hear me out there watch what he says in verse 8 remember the re- there's the received punishment in verse 8 remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses saying if you transgress I will scatter you abroad among the nations Nehemiah recognized and remembered way back there in the time of Moses God said now if you rebel I'm going to scatter you he said um, Lord we recognize that you've been correcting us now i got to be careful right here because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me but sometimes that thing you think you're in that's a storm, it might be correction. Can I give you a biblical example? Jonah. Jonah's on a boat. But Eric got in a storm. 
Boy, think about all the storm songs you can write about Jonah. Jonah going through a hard time. No, Jonah's rebelling against God. Brought it on himself. Self-inflicted storms. Because you know why? Because he wouldn't obey God. Now, I'm not saying every hard time you go through is a judgment of God, but I think there ought to be a time where you sit down and then say, Now, Lord, is this correction or is this just a trial? Are you trying my faith? I believe that's wise to do. I believe that's wise to do. Say, Now, Lord, I want to make sure. Well, and what, you know what we want to do? Well, I ain't done anything. You ain't done anything to deserve what you're going through. Help me now. I mean, you've not done anything to deserve that. You killed the Son of God. Your sins put him on the cross. I'm not minimizing anybody's trouble tonight. But let's not get this thing, I don't deserve this. I'm going to tell you what we deserve tonight. We deserve to be burning in hell for all eternity, but for the mercy of God, but for the grace of God. He said, I receive punishment. But watch the repentant people in verse 9. I love this conjunction in verse 9. But, but if you turn unto me. God said, if you rebel, I'm going to scatter you. But if you'll repent. Amen. Now, I know the context of this is dealing with the nation of Israel. I get that. But I'm going to tell you, God don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. He likes repentance. And if somebody gets sick and tired of their sin and says, I'm tired of living this way, and they turn back to God, that gets His attention. The repentant people. The return to precepts. Look at verse 9 again. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, if you just not just be a hearer of the word and be a doer of the word, I think I heard a fellow preach about that this morning. Hey, Amen. The proof of their repentance was how they responded to the word of God. That's what he says. But if you turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, if you want to know if you have truly repented or not of sin, check your relationship with your Bible. Dr. Kenny Baldwin said, show me your relationship with your Bible and I'll show you what you think of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the Word. This is the written Word and Jesus is the living Word. There's the recorded promise in verse number 9. Though you were cast out under the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather thee I gather them from fence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now, don't miss this now. I'm talking about these people have rebelled against God and God scattered them. And they're all over Babylonian and Assyria. And they're all over the place. But God said, if you'll repent and if you'll go back to my word, He said, watch what He says now. Though you were cast out the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather thee from fence. Don't miss this now. He said, I don't care how far you go. That's how to help somebody. I don't care how far you go. I don't care how far sin takes you. I don't care if you're deep in Babylon. I don't care if you're in that Assyrian captivity. If you'll turn your face towards me, if you'll repent, if you'll obey my word, I'll come down there and get you and I'll bring you back. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? And that it don't matter how far you go. And it don't matter what you've done. And the long arm of the mercy of God. And the long arm of the grace of God can reach down and bring you home again. He said, I don't care how far i got to go to get you. If you show any inkling, hey, man, i got to hush. But if you show any inkling of wanting to come back home, I'll make a way. 
That prodigal father kept the farm. He kept the road. He kept a looking for that boy. Why? Because if there was any repentance in that boy, he was going to welcome him back to the house. Oh, thank God that he is a God of mercy tonight. He is a God uh, that his mercy endures forever. He said, I don't care how far you go. I don't care how far. You may get out there real far. You may get out there real deep. But if you'll turn. Amen. That's repentance, is it not? If you'll turn, I'll gather you. He said, I'm going to get you. Here's a New Testament principle drawn out of God. If you'll turn, he said, I'm going to draw on out of you. Amen. I'm glad no matter how far you go, I'm glad God's mercy will bring you back home. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? <clears throat> oh, man. Ho- Hosea, she, he is commanded to take that wife of whoredoms, Gomer. In Hosea chapter 1, she born children, but she went away. He sent them children. I've got, I'm trying to hush, but I'm, 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 I'm flowing in the river, and I'm going to stay with it for a minute. He, he sent them, they sent them children up to her, up to her house. She went back to her, to her heart of tree, and they knocked on the door and begged her to come home, and she wouldn't. Chapter two says, so I bought her. Meaning that she had to sell herself into slavery. Can you see Gomer standing up there on that slave block? And, and all of a sudden she's standing up there in shame. And she's standing up there in shame to what she's done. She's not been the wife she's supposed to be. She's not been the mother she's supposed to be. And all of a sudden the bidding begins and the bidding's going. And all of a sudden she hears a familiar voice. And she looks and there's Hosea. And he's bidding higher. And he's bidding higher. And he's bidding higher. And she says, oh no, he's gonna buy me so he can, so he can kill me for what I've done to him. And I see that auctioneer slam that gavel and said, sold to Hosea. And I see Hosea walk up to her and grab her by the hand and said, let's go home. Let's go home. Aren't you glad that God's mercy looks beyond your faults and He sees your need? That old boy come back out of that hog pen. He didn't look like a son. He wasn't acting like a son. He didn't even smell like a son. Oh, but the father said, bring the fatted calf. Put on him the bed. Robe, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What is that tonight? It is the mercy of God. Preacher, I failed the Lord. Just throw yourself on the mercy of God. Say, God, I'm a, f-. admit to it. Don't try to pretty it up. Don't try to make it sound when I'm mad. I have missed faults. I have, I have, I have shortcomings. No. Just say, God, I've sinned. I've made a mess of my life. I've messed up my life. I'm not everything I'm supposed to be. I'll tell you though, when you're not everything you're supposed to be, He's everything He said He'd be and a whole lot more. Oh, bless His name. There is the recorded promise. Oh, I got a hold of that day. Though you were cast down in the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather thee from thence and bring you to a place I have chosen to set my name there. By the way, let's preach a little prophecy for a second. He's doing that right now, Brother Richie. All them Jews, they don't even know why, but they're moving back to Israel. What are they doing? I had a preacher friend of mine who ran into some at the airport in New York. And he said, y'all are Jews? And they said, yes. He said, y'all vacation Americans? Oh, we, we were born in America, but we want to move to Israel. 
Why? He said, we don't know. We just want to go home. I know why. God's drawing that Jew back with cords of love. And one day he's going to step out and they're going to say, where'd you get them wounds in your hand and your feet? He'll say, I got them in the house of my friends. He's going to keep this promise in Nehemiah 1.9. And he's going to gather them from the north, the south, and the east, and the west. They're all going to gather in. And they're going to crown him and recognize him as the Messiah that he is. Then there's, and I've already hit this. I gotta hurry. I'm, that 30 minute promise, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> A reminded possession, verse 10. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. They hadn't been living like his servants. They hadn't been living like his people. But they were redeemed. They were still his. I don't always act like one of His, but I'm His. That shouldn't be a license of sin. That should encourage me not to want to live my life that way. The Lord did not forget His people. Amen. That might be my favorite verse in the Bible now. Amen. He said, no matter how far you go, I'll bring you back. All they had to do, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them. He said, just repent. Sounds like what he told that church in Revelation too. Repent and do the first works. Just obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Some of you know what it's like for God to bring you out of the hog pen. Bring you out of sin. Not just, some of you in the case you just lost, some of you saved us wasn't right with God. God brought you back. God restored you. God gave you a family. God gave you a home. And hey, He didn't give you a second chance. We done burned our second chance up. He's, I'm on my, my millionth chance. Somebody help me. Oh, but over and over He molds me and He makes me into His likeness. He's fashioning that clay. Oh, thank God He didn't throw the clay away. There's hope tonight. If you'll turn and keep His commandments. Amen. I, I want to be careful. I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass anybody tonight. But I think about people in our church that I've seen God just do a work in. And I don't want to embarrass them, but I want to give God the glory for watching how the direction of their life was going. But they turned. God, when they turned towards God, God made a turn towards them. Amen. He never turned His face away from them. They might have turned their face away for a while. Oh, but He never forsook them. He never forgot about them. Amen. God may not have been on your mind, but you were always on God's mind. Amen. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. People walking and obeying and doing right and God blessing the pudding out of them. Why? Because they done this verse. Went pretty far. God brought them back. Let me give you this last one. Maybe. There's a specific direction of this prayer. There is the... The spoken details of this prayer, the scriptural doctrine of this prayer, but there's the serious desperation of this prayer. Look at verse 11. 
Notice his sincere request. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thou, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. He said, God, I really need you to hear me. Here's the stated reason. I pray thee, thy servant this day, grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, I'll give you this for sake of the outline tonight. Before the king ate or drank anything, Nehemiah would have to taste it and drink it to make sure nobody was poisoning the king. He's got a big job. But he's got a heavy burden. He said, God, if I'm going to do what you put in my heart, you're going to have to work on that man. You're going to have to do what I can't. Can I ask you a question? Are you praying about anything that if it gets done, it's going to have to be God? That's what he says in that text. He said, Lord... You're going to have to do it because I'm the king's cupbearer. I know what you put in my heart. Chapter 2 will say God put it in his heart. He said, but God, you're going to have to do it. May God help us not just to be bothered about the condition of this world and this land, but to be burdened. Are you praying tonight? Do you have a prayer list? Do you have a prayer time? You'll never have a prayer life if you don't have a prayer time. We owe a lot to him tonight, don't we? He's so merciful and so kind. Are you bothered about your kids or are you burdened for your kids? Are you bothered about that family member and what they're doing and shaming your family's name? Or are you burdened about them? Am I burdened or bothered about the preachers and the directions and the churches are going? No, honestly, most of the time I'm just bothered. Brother Rich, to my shame, I ain't praying for them like I should. How can they be so goofy? How can they be so blind to go that way? But if it wasn't for the grace of God, it would be me. Instead of being bothered, may God help us to get burdened. I don't want to ruin the book of Nehemiah for you, but because Nehemiah got the burden, them walls got up. If he had just been bothered, the walls would have never been built. But because he got burdened, the men come together, and they had a mind to work. And they got them walls up, and the worship was protected. And they got an eastern gate built. And they got that eastern gate rebuilt. And one day, the Messiah, he's going to walk through that eastern gate. Why? Because a man just wasn't bothered. But he got burdened. Let's stand. I appreciate your attention. Are you bothered tonight? Or are we burdened? Brother Matthew's going to come to the piano. He's going to play a verse of invitation. Let's be